On today's show, hear us say... At that time, women were required to master the Naginata by the age of 18. This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Hi, and welcome to another episode. I'm Sensei Michelle. I'm Sensei Jackie. And I'm Landon. And we are so glad to have everybody back for another episode, aren't we? Oh, yes. Yes. Before we talk about guests or get started in any way, can we spend just a minute telling everybody about our new course on Listenable? Oh, Sensei, I think that will be a great idea. So Sensei Michelle and Sensei Jackie have been working very hard to create a course for a company called Listenable. So you can access the course Self-Defense for Everyone on listenable.io, or it's a free download on the App Store at Listenable. That was a fun course to do. I enjoyed it. And it was a lot of work to put it together for sure. It was a lot of work, but I'm so glad it's up and running and I hope people check it out. I do too, because they can get a seven-day free trial and try out a lot of courses that way. And on that note, let's get to one of my favorite weapons, the Naginata. So that's today's subject? That is today's subject. All right. You know, it's one of my favorite weapons too. And even though it's just us three this week, we are not alone. What do you mean, Sensei? So in doing this research, I was reminded of a demonstration our friend and fellow black belt, Sensei Jana, did using the practice Naginata. She has some stories about when she and another black belt, Sensei Don, let's do that shout out now. Hey, Sensei Don. Hey, Sensei Don. How are you? Hope things are going well. They worked with Master Collegian, and she's going to tell us all about it towards the end of the show. That is awesome, but super quick, can we tell everyone that a naginata is just basically a pole with a sharp sword attached to the end of it? Of course, there are pics on the Twitter page. One of them is your actual naginata, Sensei. That's super, super cool. That's right. I'd forgotten we did that. Anyway, I want to start by saying that all the long weapons that have blades on the end are descended from spears. That's true. And we covered spears in episode 51 on the Sai, Serujin, and more. The more was the Tinbei Roshin, or a spear and shield. I love that one. Yes. And if everyone didn't already know, a spear is a sharpened pole. That is the definition from Britannica.com. Us, and I'll add that there are infinite varieties and types of spears, and they've been found all over the world. And one more note before we push on. In our first episode on archery, we talked about the atlatl, which is spelled A-T-L-A-T-L, and it was a type of a spear thrower. Yes. That would be another good episode for us to do in playback. Right, guys? Yes. Us. And that will be at the end of May, I believe. Cool. Looking forward to it. Moving on with spears, I found a cool piece of trivia in the research. The first evidence of spears as a weapon was discovered in Germany, and it is 400,000 years old. Wow, I'm just saying, picture hunting a mammoth with a spear. I cannot picture hunting a mammoth with a spear. (laughs) That is outside of the realm of my imagination. What about you guys? That's a little much for me. I don't think so. (laughs) Anyway, I want to get to the Naginata pretty quickly. So let's each pick a fact or two about the ancient art of spear fighting, etc. Us, and I'll start us out by saying that they were originally used for hunting, but over time, soldiers began using them. That's right. And they were used by almost everybody in the world. 
But it's worth noting that the Romans were pretty intimidating because they had that phalanx form. Just picture it as a giant triangle where their shields guarded them, and yet they were capable of attacking. Yikes. Well, there you go. And I have one more. Philip II of Macedonia introduced the Sarisa. It's 13 to 21 feet long. I saw that too. And let's not forget that in the Middle Ages, the javelin was the weapon of choice. Okay, we're getting closer and closer to the Naginata. It is the descendant of the halberd, which was a little different than the other spears because the blade was more sword-like and less, well, spear-like. Exactly. But before we jump into the specifics of the Naginata, it's worth noting that even though gunpowder took over and therefore the bladed weapons were pushed to the side, spears did not completely disappear. Think, for example, of bayonets in World War I. Ah. Us, and they're still used for hunting and fishing in modern times. In fact, at a site called satori.com, that's spelled S-U-T-O-R-I.com, they brought up a cool idea, which was a way to make a cool spear that would adapt to modern times. Just for the record, we didn't find one anywhere, but here's what they said it would look like. They called it Spear X and said it could be used for hunting, fishing, and self-defense. The updates would include lights, so it's easily found after being thrown. And it would have a function where you push a button and the blade lights on fire. I love that. I love that visual, I gotta (laughs) say it. Right? And it would have another button that detaches the spear tip from the handle. And even a harpoon function that also releases with a button. Wow. I'm loving the visual on that weapon. I wish they actually did make one. Yes. But while we're playing with the fun trivia, here's something. I found a site that we did not use today. And the name was too cool for me not to share it with everybody. Are you ready? I'm ready. It was called Wiki Wand. Wow. <laughs> and I'll finish this silliness with the fact that even though I didn't see that cool Spear X online, spears are still sold on Amazon. Wow. That was fun. But it's time to move on to the Naginata. We got the majority of our information from a site called scnf.org. And of course, it represents the Southern California Naginata Federation. Okay, let's get started. Who's up? All right, I've got it, Sensei. We've said it a number of times, but it's worth repeating. The Naginata is a pole about six feet long with the blade attached to the end. The blades vary in length, but they average about 14 inches. And of course, you can look at our Twitter feed to see a picture. We're on Twitter at Wildcat Dojo and all over the web at Wildcat Dojo. And if they add .com, they get to our webpage and they can find out about the listenable course on both Twitter and Facebook. Just saying. Sounds like All a good idea. Wildcat Dojo. <laughs> okay. I would say get back on track, but I think we actually need to get on track. So who's starting the history? I am. The weapon originated a thousand years ago and was used by both men and women. It's unique because it's powerful against both horses and foot soldiers, and the length meant it was advantageous against a sword. Also, it moves in circles with grace and fluidity. Well, well, (laughs) okay. After a massive amount of hours in repeating those moves, they get the grace and the fluidity, right? Yes. 
I'm not sure we can um, move gracefully out of that. So let's get back on. Are you going again, Sensei Jackie? Yes, I am. Because the Naginata came into use in the Nara period in Japan. That was from about 710 to 784 AD. Us. The site said it was originally a bushi weapon, a warrior's weapon. But they add that it went through a period where it was used as a weapon by Buddhist monks. Now that's interesting. They also say shafts range from 5 to 8 feet and blades range from 10 inches to 24 inches. It makes me want to picture the blade in a sweep against the legs and even a circle strike overhead. My goodness. Yes, but how about the thrusting strike with the butt of the handle? Yes. And I read that the tip of the Naginata could pierce armor. Yikes. Wow. And all of those moves are in the kata that Master Collegian taught to us. Some of those moves are just so beautiful. Us, of course they are. Okay, let's get to the origin story. There's three different origins, and Landon's going to tell us the first one. One theory says that it evolved from a simple farming tool used for chopping. In 3 BCE, which is before the Common Era, farmers took sharpened stone to long wooden shafts, and this later evolved into a metal blade. That's a good one. Another origin story goes like this. It may have evolved directly as a weapon. Maybe the first blades were made of bronze followed by steel. Then around 200 BCE, the blades started to be made from a much harder metal. I like that one. And I'm going to finish up with the one that says it may have evolved from a Chinese halberd. The halberd was brought into Japan during the migrations around 200 BCE by the Han and the Wei dynasties. Interestingly, that period lasted from 200 BCE to 200 CE, so it's a tongue twister. Yes. Anyway, the Chinese weapon looked a lot like the Japanese Naginata, but no matter which origin story you think is true, everyone agrees that the Naginata was refined by the Japanese. That's right, Sensei. We read that by the 10th century, the Naginata was clearly being used regularly in battle due to the gain in popularity of fighting on horses specifically during the Genpai War in 1180. In that conflict, it is said that the Naginata rose to a position of high esteem. And I can add one more thing. All right, let's hear it. Because of the popularity of the Naginata, changes were made in the armor. Specifically, a type of shin guard started to be incorporated. And... It became famous as an excellent women's weapon because the distance it reached allowed them to be on foot and fight someone on horseback. Also, it was suited to guarding the castle and the home front. And that takes us to a famous woman whose name was Itagaki. She was known for her skill with the Naginata and was in charge of a troop of 3,000 at the Tori Zakayama Castle. Right. The story continues. A shogun dispatched over 10,000 warriors to overtake the castle. Itagaki led her troops out of the castle and took out many of the 10,000 before finally being overpowered. Okay. You could use a lot of words to describe that, right? Yes. Us. It is sad. Yes, but she was so brave. Us. And it's an amazing story. Yes. And it moves us into the peaceful period in Japan, the Edo period, yeah. the Tokugawa period. Oh, Sensei, I'll pick it up here. At that time, women were required to master the Naginata by the age of 18. This was done to gain strength, stamina, 
defense and as a tradition. The weapons became very ornate and were passed down as a part of her dowry. I'm simultaneously impressed and creeped out by the word dowry. <laughs> Do you even know what that is, Landon? Did you look it up no after sense. you read it? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> okay, real quick, let's try to go down that road. So when a woman was going to be married, she had a... They gave stuff to the potential to the, to uh, the groom. groom. Yeah, right. like animals and land and obviously a naginata. Hmm. It's creepy, right? Hmm. Okay, before we get to the interview with Sensei Jana, I think you have one more fact for me. Is that right, Sensei Jackie? I do, Sensei. A lot like the way karate has been passed down, modern-day naginata training includes respect, etiquette, patience, self-confidence, and your favorite self-control. Training builds stamina coupled with beauty and grace. That does sound a lot like our training, doesn't it? It's true. Yes. And it's a great segue to this story. Many years ago, Master Collegian got this idea to show a Naginata competition, which is similar to a kendo competition. And you can Google kendo competitions. Oh, us. It's an easy search. But anyway, at the time, Master Lasorsa, shout out to Master Lasorsa. We've quoted him a number of times on this show, and he's so awesome. Had two students, Sensei Jana and Sensei Dawn, and they were the ones training with Master Collegian to do the demonstration. Yes. So you ready to hear it? Yes, I am, Sensei. All right. Hey, Sensei Jana, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Sensei. It's great to see you again. It is so good to see you. And for the audience, we can actually see each other, even though you cannot see us, because they've improved my Zencaster recording software. Yay! And I want to thank you for taking a few minutes to talk about your experience in competing with the practice Naginatas. Thank you, Sensei, for asking me. Okay, so I have no idea how many years ago this was. Do you want to say about 25? I would say it may be, yes, it might be 25, because I'd say that I probably hadn't had my daughter yet. Between 25 and 20. Okay, between 25 and 20. (laughs) We'll change it to 20 to 25 years ago. (laughs) I know. What are your biggest memories about preparing for and doing that competition. And we should mention here that you were with Sensei Dawn, a great black belt in her own right. Yes. And of course, we were both students under Master LaSorta. And we went often to Master Collegiate's private dojo. And during the times of demonstration, particularly, he would work with small groups of people. And he wanted us to perfect whatever the demonstration was that he was asking us to perform. Excuse the bird in the background, although the bird is sounding a lot like the noise we had to make. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, doesn't he? That's so true. In this case, he had to start from the very beginning with us because everything about Naginata, from the way that you dress to the way that you have to manage such a large weapon, the courtesy, the noises that you make. So we went to his dojo over a period of weeks. We started with pretty much being very overwhelmed by just the challenge in a confined space. It was difficult, but over time, of course, he taught us the courtesy. He taught us actually how to move, strike forward, and to scoot forward while we were doing it. I remember him teaching us that with overhead strikes in particular, you would pull back after you had performed the strike, simulating, I would imagine, the cut that you would make with the blade at the end. And 
our practice naginatas were made from cane poles, as I recall, with uh, the tips at the end. So we started with different types of stripes, different types of blocks, and wearing the gear that I know was fashioned to accommodate the different stripes to the different areas. And then he would identify the areas where the stripes were to be practical and to count, similar to the kendo stripes, meaning you can't just flail out and, and hit anyone anywhere to get a point, which I always found to be frustrating with kendo. Uh, <laughs> and we haven't done a podcast on kendo yet. So basically, you're going to hit the head, the trunk, and you're also allowed to cut the wrists. Right. Just to, I, just to tell the audience. Thank you. Yes. So, and then of course there is the, the head. We had the big head gear and you have the grill in the front. Right. The like men Kendo, from as Kendo. I recall. And we had the breastplates and we had the hand in the wrist gear. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> in any event, then we began striking each other and it seemed like as though the momentum of the blows took a lot longer from the beginning of the strike to the actual contact of the strike because of the length of the weapon. So that was something very different from any weapon that I had ever done before. Makes With sense. something that's 8 or 10 feet long or 11 feet long, it, it's going to take longer to get to your target. So that's all a part of the learning curve. So that was a challenge and actually very fun. But I will tell you that when that tip hits your skin, it whips and cuts, just like a, you know, a kendo strike would. Right, um, bruises on the parts where you're not protected. Very much so. Yes. But, and so okay. how about the demonstration itself? Did it go fast? Just like every demo I've ever given or any demonstration, it goes much faster in your mind. The good news is I have a video of it, and I do watch it from time to time. Anyway, we first faced the crowd, and we showed them our strikes. And I remember the noise that you had to make. Eep, eep, eep. It became second nature because I could almost feel why the eep was extending from that long weapon and how that was appropriate with the type of strikes delivered with that weapon. And then he had a spar randomly for points. And of course, I remember like with all tournaments against Sensei Don, he pummeled me and got most of the points. <laughs> it was great. To have that experience, it was really fun. And I'm so thankful that I was able to participate. And you know what? Can't we say that about so many things in karate? The anticipation part of it is so stressful. But then when you look back on it, you're so glad you did it. So many things in karate and so many things in life. Yes, 100% <laughs> agree. So I'm very thankful, again, for all of the weapons training and this one included. I just want to say this was exactly as much fun as I knew it was going to be. Thank you. Thank you, Sensei. I'm happy to be in touch. And we will stay in touch. Us, Sensei. Us. Good you. Wow, Sensei Gianna. Thanks so much for um, giving us the insight into what went on in that demonstration. That was amazing. Yeah. It was fun to hang with Sensei Gianna for a few minutes. I feel like I'm Columbo, for those of you who love old school mysteries, because I'm going to say just one more thing. (laughs) After that great interview with Sensei Jana, you know we can't beat it. So I thought I'd go a completely different way and talk about the fact that there are Naginatas in anime. And I wasn't aware of it until I looked them up. So Landon, I believe you know a couple of them, right? Us. I'm not an anime fan. But they sound very interesting. May have to check them out. There's an old series called the Gundam series and another one called One Piece. 
They both use Naginatas. So I've been working on an episode, not so much about anime, but about Super Sentai, because that's Sensei Ben's name. Yes. And I've learned a lot about it. I'm not sure if and when the uh, episode will ever come out, but needless to say, anime is what you see in TV and movies. But if it's a comic book, they call it manga. Oh, Mm. Super Sentai is actually live action. Interestingly, though, it started out as manga. Really? That's so interesting. Just a little preview. But I think you do have one for us, Sensei Jackie. I do. I can't beat your story. (laughs) But I have one called Gintama, where the plot is that a samurai and his cohort take odd jobs in a world where aliens have conquered feudal Japan. Wait, stop. Aliens have conquered feudal Japan? That's awesome. (laughs) I know. And it's called Gintama? Gintama, G-I-N-T-A-M-A. I vote we lift that puppy up. And there's, there's a female character. Her name is Shimurate, and she uses her naginata often in the series. I love this description of her. She's known to be short-tempered and very dangerous, even as she looks out for others. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun, fun. Before we close, we have to do Honor Athletics, athletics of course. Of course. And before we do Honor Athletics, I want to say, for those of you who follow weekly, last week we had Sensei Lydia, myself, Sensei Jackie, and Landon all at the same table. And it was so great. So great. And now Landon had a close call with an interaction with somebody with COVID. So he has to stay away from us for a couple of weeks and it is not as much fun. Us. But I'll be back to the table next week. Yay! Because we have missed you. Yes. And of course, we want you to go to Honor Athletics for your martial arts needs. Reach them at honorathletics.com or 770-945-5150. And do not forget to mention Wildcat Dojo when you're checking out for your 10% discount. And on that note, it's time for goodbyes. I so enjoyed looking into this weapon, right? Us. Bye, everybody. Looking forward to actually all being together next week. And so am I. Bye, everybody. And with that, I'm signing off. Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again on Wildcat Dojo Conversations.